There's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends. But who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Hi, welcome to this episode of the Health Essentials Podcast, brought to you by Cleveland Clinic. I'm your host, Deanna Pogorels, and we're recording today at the Cleveland Clinic main campus with Dr. Tosin Goji. Dr. Goji is an obstetrician and gynecologist who specializes in infectious diseases, including sexually transmitted infections, which is what we're going to be discussing today. So thank you very much for being here. And listeners, please remember that this is for informational purposes only and is not intended to replace your own physician's advice. So Dr. Goji, I saw this report from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention that was talking about, it called attention to this uptick in um, the cases of sexually transmitted infections, and it, it was saying they are at an all-time high. And so can you talk a little bit about what some of the factors that are contributing to why this is happening right now? Thank you for having me. Yes, for the fifth year, um, sexually transmitted infections have persisted have persistently increased for the fifth year. Fifth year. Yeah. And we're talking about gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis. Uh, there are a few contributing factors. I think one of them is um, the, 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 the shortage of funding for the free clinics. So many of the young people actually go to these free clinics, and um, the free clinics screen these patients and also give like direct um, treatment. Chlamydia can be treated immediately using azithromycin as a one-time medication. Um, gonorrhea can be treated immediately as a one-time medication of intramuscular ceftriaxone and oral azithromycin. And their partners can also be brought to the free clinic and be treated at the same time. Are those antibiotics? That those are antibiotics. So by having those free clinics, treating the patients, screening the patients, treating their partners, we're preventing and decreasing the spread of um, sexually transmitted infections. So decrease in funding is one of the reasons that um, there's a persistent increase. Also, we need more education, um, more people especially with the increase in opiate intake, the opiate epidemic, uh, having more high-risk behaviors, more um, high-risk um, sexual activities, use of less condoms, and that exposes patients and partners to STIs. Right, so you mentioned, um, and just to be clear, are STDs and STIs the same thing? Yes, so STD means sexually transmitted diseases, STIs, sexually transmitted infections. We prefer to use sexually transmitted infections. Okay. They are infections. Okay. So you specifically mentioned um, three STIs, and can we go through kind of one of each of those individually and talk a little bit about um, what they are, maybe what some of the symptoms might be, and then why they're particularly concerning and why the rise in them is troublesome? Absolutely. So let's start with chlamydia. Um, chlamydia is one of the most common um, sexually transmitted infections. It is caused by a bacteria called um, Chlamydia trichomatis, 
And um, many times it's asymptomatic. Um, we tend to pick up um, chlamydial infections when patients are screened. Um, CDC recommends that young women and young men less than age 25 should be screened yearly. And those older than 25 who have any risk factors or who feel they've been exposed should also be screened. That is one of the best ways to actually pick up this asymptomatic um, infection. Um, the second one is gonorrhea. Um, gonorrhea is, called, is caused by Neisseria gonorrhea, and it's also a bacterial um, infection. CDC recommends that young um, adults less than the age of 25 should also be screened, and those who are at high risk or who feel they've been exposed to the infection should be screened. Uh, with um, gonorrhea in men, some people might have some burning with urination, some women might have some irritation or burning, but many times it's asymptomatic. So screening is one of the best tools, or if a patient or a, a young adult feels they've been exposed to a person with um, gonorrhea. Um, the third is syphilis. Um, syphilis is caused um, by a spirochete. I remember when I was in med school, there was this picture of a teeny tiny warm-like, jelly-like thing called T. pallidum, treponema pallidum. Um, it causes syphilis. Syphilis could be primary syphilis, it could be secondary syphilis, or it could be tertiary syphilis. And um, sometimes people think um, with syphilis there will always be a lesion or a sore, but it's not always the case. In women, they might have what we call latent syphilis, whereby they have no signs, no symptoms, no complaints. But when we screen them in pregnancy, um, the test comes back positive. Um, syphilis is very, very important in obstetrics because there has been an increase in newborns with syphilis, and there has been an increase in death in utero meaning death in the womb due to a mother having syphilis, not knowing, getting pregnant, and then the baby in the uterus getting infected. So one of the good things that CDC recommends, which we do, is all pregnant patients with their first visit to the obstetrician or healthcare provider get a screen for syphilis. And then if they are at high risk or live in a population or area that is at high risk for syphilis, they get a second screen in the late second trimester or early third trimester, and even get a third screen if it's needed. These are steps to make sure that babies are not exposed to syphilis, because babies could be born with congenital deformities if their parents, if their mother had syphilis and was not treated. So these are the three major sexually transmitted infections that we are campaigning about, educating people about, because they've been rising despite all the good uh, measures that we've put in place. And we'll keep working to decrease them, hopefully, in the coming year. Yeah, so you mentioned the importance of screening, and because some of these are won't produce symptoms. Can you talk a little bit about the screening and what that entails 
and who should be ha who should be screened? So as we earlier talked about, for gonorrhea and chlamydia, all young adults less than age 25. So age 15 to 24, or before your 25th birthday, depending on how you want to word it. I always say less than 25, sexually active, even if you're not up to age 15, you should be screened for gonorrhea and chlamydia. And there are many non-invasive ways that you can screen for gonorrhea and chlamydia. You don't need a pap test or a pelvic exam to be screened for gonorrhea and chlamydia. You could be screened from a urine for gonorrhea and chlamydia. Um, there is the self-collected vaginal swab. I read of a big research that was conducted in the United Kingdom where women um, were asked to collect their vaginal swab and the doctor collected a swab and they compared the results. And it was comparable. Both the doctor collected swab and the patient collected swab did very well. So that takes away that barrier of a young lady not wanting um, her privacy to be invaded. So it could be urine, it could be a self-collected vaginal swab, it could be a provider vaginal swab collection without a speculum, and it could be a, a speculum um, vaginal or cervical collected swab. So there are many ways that we can collect the swab. The NAT, which is called the nucleic acid amplification test, is the best test, and that is what is mostly used in the country now. It's very sensitive, and that helps us to pick up most of these um, infections, gonorrhea and um, chlamydia. And for syphilis, it's usually a blood test because, as I said, um, most people don't have lesions. Um, universally, we don't screen everyone for syphilis, um, but if a patient feels they've been exposed, they should speak up and get screened. But in pregnancy, all pregnant patients at their first obstetric visit should be screened for syphilis. Okay. So for gonorrhea and chlamydia, is, something that women, is that something women can ask for when they go in for, say, their annual exam? Or is that something that should be being offered to them when they go? Yeah. It should be offered yearly okay. to all women. Okay. And if, it's, if the patient thinks um, she's been exposed or she's at a high risk, she can request um, for a screen, even if she was screened recently. Okay. Yeah. And what does high risk mean? So having um, sexual intercourse with someone who has been exposed, having sexual intercourse without the use of condoms in someone who might have been exposed previously in the past 30 to 60 days. So many times I hear my patients call to say, I want to be screened because my partner was in a relationship I just got to know about. So that also falls on the high risk. Yeah. So um, I know you kind of were focusing on young people when uh, you were talking. Is this increase in cases mostly happening in, in younger people, or can older people get STIs too? Oh, older people can have um, STIs. But we're just talking about the guidelines for screening. Okay, yeah. You know, there's a difference between screening and requesting for a test. So the guidelines for screening is for the younger people less than 25 yearly screening. But anyone can request um, a screen. 
any patient can request for a screen if they feel they've been exposed to an STI. Sure. And then are all of these treatable by antibiotics or are they all treatable in some way? Yes. The, the three um, sexually transmitted infections we've talked about are all treated by antibiotics. And um, most of the antibiotics are readily available. So for chlamydia, um, the recommended um, antibiotic is called azithromycin and is a one-time medication. So that helps with what we call compliance. You take it one time and that is done. But it's very important that all sex partners of the patient be treated also to prevent reinfection. Um, there are also other alternative medications if the patient has an allergy, so they can speak with their provider about that. For gonorrhea, there, it's also antibiotics, but it's two antibiotics for gonorrhea. One of them is an injection called ceftriaxone, and the second one is a pill, which could be the azithromycin or the doxycycline. And once again, because these are sexually transmitted infection, all sex partners should be treated or encouraged to seek um, care also. And for syphilis, it's also an antibiotic. It's penicillin. Okay. Uh, so I've heard a lot of talk about antibiotic resistance just in the in the world of infectious diseases, is there any concern about resistance to antibiotics with these infections? Yes, especially for gonorrhea. Um, in the past, we could treat gonorrhea with what we call the fluoroquinolones, but now we have resistance to fluoroquinolones, so we don't use fluoroquinolones for um, treatment of gonorrhea. And then we move to a group called cephalosporins, and that's where the ceftriaxone comes under. And now we are noticing that we need a higher dose of the cephalosporin called ceftriaxone to treat gonorrhea. And we don't use just one medication. We use two medications, the ceftriaxone, which is a cephalosporin, and the azithromycin to treat um, gonorrhea. So that's what happens when there is resistance. So it's important that the providers are aware about resistance and they use the CDC-recommended medication. And I know that CDC is aware of resistance. They have um, a five-year plan. They are working, looking for new antibiotics and looking for ways to combat this uh, resistance um, issue. Okay. I want to backtrack one second when we were talking about screening. Um, I've heard about at-home testing kits, and I think you were talking a little bit about um, patients who can swab th their own sample. Um, are those effective, something that someone could buy in like a drugstore or online? Are those testing kits effective, or should they really see a doctor? So um, from research, they are effective and they are comparable to a doctor-collected um, swab. But I don't think there's any FDA-approved um, home kit in the United States. But science-wise, they're comparable. Meaning, collecting a swab by a patient is as good as the doctor collecting it. But there will be more steps before we can make it mainstream. Um, who knows, maybe in the next few years that will happen. But um, I think, um, when we talk about STIs, it's not just about um, a home kit. 
There are other things that are involved with sexually transmitted infections, things like abuse, um, violence. So sometimes patients still need to see a provider if there are other things they need to discuss, especially if it has to do with um, abuse or violence or if they have other complaints yeah. because a patient can also misdiagnose themselves. Yeah, good point. Okay, so kind of wrapping up, is there anything else we can tell our listeners about protecting themselves, screening themselves? What's the take-home message? Prevention, prevention, prevention. Um, patients should always um, be on the safe side of prevention. Gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis are transmittable infections, but they are preventable um, by using safe methods, safe sex, um, decreasing our high-risk behaviors for sexual activities, um, making sure that all sex partners are treated when we have infections so that we don't get reinfected, um, taking the appropriate antibiotics, and completing the regimen, those are things that patients can do. The other thing is patients should speak up. If you think you have been exposed to an infection, um, a patient should speak up. And I will say, um, for our practice, I'm very proud of the young ladies who come in and say, I want to be screened. And that is a good um, thing to do. If you think you've been exposed, you should be able to go to your healthcare provider and request um, a screen to protect yourself. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here. That was super helpful information and very interesting. If you'd like to schedule an appointment with the Cleveland Clinic's OBGYN and Women's Health Institute, please visit clevelandclinic.org slash OBGYN or call 216-444-6601. To listen to more of our Health Essentials podcasts, visit clevelandclinic.org slash HEPodcast and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more health tips, news, and information, follow us at Cleveland Clinic, one word, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for joining us. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.